0: This is Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, episode number 182. Today, our special guest is Dr. Lucinda Main, who serves on the National Academy of Medicine Steering Committee for NAM's National Plan for Workforce Well-Being. We talk about what every healthcare leader needs to know about the plan's top priorities, so stay tuned.
1: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tracy and, and Michelle. Michelle. And welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Healthcare is a Missing Logic Podcast. We are on the air. We are.
0: We are. We, <laughs> we got big news, not new news for many at this point in time, but it's still big news for the country.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What with, with our special, our special guest today?
0: Yes, yes. Dr.
1: Lucinda Main talking to us about the, the National Plan.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yes, the National Plan for Health Workforce Wellbeing that was just recently this fall put out by the, our last fall I should say, uh, by the National Academy of Medicine. And we so wanted uh, someone from the steering committee to be a guest in our podcast to tell you all about it. And Lucinda stepped up and we just finished a wonderful conversation with her.
1: Yeah, it was really great, you know, because sometimes going over these reports can just kind of be like, okay, here's what's in the report, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and she just really brought it to life. I thought it was really great, you know, how she just really kind of summarized some things, brought the key, um, the key pieces together for everybody, especially if you haven't read the report yet, I think you're going to get a lot out of it and really get a good feeling for what's in the report.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally concur. So we're looking forward to you listening to this podcast or watching it on our YouTube channel. So let me introduce you to Dr. Lucinda Main, and then we will get started. So Lucinda Main served as Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, AACP, From 2002 to 2022, AACP serves as the leading advocate for high-quality pharmacy education in the U.S. and around the world. Prior to assuming her current role in July of 2002, she served as Senior Vice President for Policy, Planning, and Communications with the American Pharmacists Association. She is a pharmacy graduate of Auburn University and received her doctorate At the University of Minnesota. She served on the faculty at the University of Minnesota where she practiced in the field of geriatrics and was an associate dean at the Samford University School of Pharmacy. Lucinda has been an active leader in several roles in and out of her profession. Prior to joining the the, uh, APHA staff, she served as Speaker of the House of Delegates and as an APHA trustee. She currently serves as a board member of the American Foundation for Pharmaceutical Education, and she has received numerous awards for her work in her field. After retiring from AACP, Lucinda continues serving as a board member for several nonprofit organizations and consults with a variety of entities. Her term for this time in her life is quote unquote preferment, which we're going to hear a little bit about in our interview. Um, So, without further ado, here is our conversation with Dr. Lucinda Main.
1: We'll get back to the episode in just a minute. But if you're like many of the healthcare leaders we talk with, you continue to experience the fallout from the pandemic. Your worst fear is while you continue your search for the new normal, you're letting everyone down. If you're exhausted before you even get to work, or every time your professional life bleeds into your personal life, you feel angry and you feel guilty if you take any time to care for yourself, we guarantee you're doing at least one of these things. You think you must choose between your professional and personal life, you sacrifice your personal needs, or you make yourself accessible 24-7. That's why we created the Virtual Leadership Survival Boot Camp.
0: In the boot camp, you'll learn the survival tactics to manage the tension between your professional life and your personal life, develop a survival strategy, and create your own unique early warning system so you can reclaim your life and have a positive impact on your team. Registration will be open soon, so go over to missinglogic.com forward slash new events. And join the waitlist today for the February 2023 Leadership Survival Bootcamp. Well, Welcome, Lucinda, to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We are just thrilled to have you as our guest today.
2: Pleased to be here. Very pleased. Oh,
0: great. Yes.
1: Super excited.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, let's just start out, the three of us and all of our listeners, just celebrating that we actually have a national plan for health workforce well-being. You know, we're just so thrilled that we have a plan. Yay, yay, yay. So our company, Missing Logic, um, has been a committed networking organization for the National Academy of Medicine, or NAM, as we'll be calling it for the rest of the show, Uh, when they started the phase one of the Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing. And uh, we just were all about that, signed up, did our commitment statement, and we've been engaged and committed to that effort ever since then. And uh, before we jump into phase two of creating a national plan for health, health workforce well-being, which is why you're our guest today, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your personal connection to improving clinician well-being.
2: Thanks. And and thanks for your commitment to the work of Nam. I, I don't think anything, especially now, could be more important than addressing these issues of clinician well-being. So my journey started almost 50 years ago now when I was encouraged to go to pharmacy school at Auburn University. And um, to be honest with you, once that pharmacist said, go do it, I never looked back. I had... Um, The real privilege as a young, as a student, to be exposed to some of the most visionary thinkers in the profession of pharmacy. Um, People who were not afraid to say medication use is a mess sometimes if it's not managed proactively and thoughtfully and coordinated. And um, that became my passion. But I also recognize that medication use is a team sport, and while I profess that the best teams, uh, the most effective teams, will include a well-trained pharmacist who knows the most about medicines on the team— There are a lot of other hands involved, including the hands of the patients and their caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so, I really lead and have led with the spirit that um, none of us can do it alone and that we really need to um, focus on highly functional teams. And when you do that, what we now call the quintuple aim is uh, achievable. Mm singing our song. We just love teams.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Interprofessional collaboration all the way around, right? It's just that's nobody right. can do it by themselves. So I love that. Just love that. Well, we're really grateful too that you're with us today because you are on the steering committee for the National Plan for Health Workforce Wellbeing. And, uh, and we're excited about what that means for our listeners and that you'll be able to give them some insights into this really incredible work that's happening. And like, you said, the highest priority that there is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about this Interprofessional Steering Committee and kind of the role it played in developing the national plan?
2: Well, you know, since you've been here since the beginning, you know that the Action Collaborative started as the Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and was organized and funded largely by some very um, thoughtful, powerful medical organizations. And so it was a little... um, probably a little physician focused at the time, but you can't get into healthcare very deeply and talk about uh, physician's practice without talking about nurses and then ultimately other people on the team. Mm-hmm. And so uh, initially, you know, NAM as it is, as it will do anytime it's organizing a a new piece of work, they reach out um, with their broad arms and they bring in as many committed partners as they possibly can. And this was no exception in pharmacy organizations, nursing organizations, many, many others, both the the educational arms of those disciplines as well as the practitioner and scientific arms of those disciplines. Um, And a lot of people came because even before COVID, and I'm sure we're going to touch on the COVID impact um, because it's very real in this space, Um, we had, we, the collective we, had recognized that there were some things happening in the health environment that were causing clinicians stress and distress. Um, But the interesting thing, and the expansion of the steering committee happened about a year and a few months ago, As they were completing year four or the second segment of the Action Collaborative, and the leaders were thinking about what they needed to do to not just write about and think about well-being and how to change the face of that in healthcare, but what kind of action needed to be articulated and then pushed out And the pushing out part is what caused NAMS leaders, and Victor Zhao specifically, to say, we need a few more disciplines around this steering committee table. I'd had the privilege of working with Victor on the uh, Research America Board of Directors. And so, you know, it made pharmacy maybe a little more top of mind for him than it might otherwise have been. And the staff reached out and indicated that they would like to put mm-hmm. the pharmacy voice on the steering committee. And it's really been um, a, a marvelous experience for me personally, kind of a capstone, if you will, because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't tell you in my fun facts that I actually transitioned from my 20 years as CEO of AACP mid-2022 and am now exploring something that I call preferment rather than retirement. We we can come back to that at another point in time. Um, But so the purpose of the steering committee was to broaden the thinking, enhance the thinking that was already going on around that table, en route to devising this national plan, which we'll talk much more about. But then also to bring more stakeholders For the implementation of the plan to the Mm -hmm. table, Mm -hmm. and um, and that's what we will be spending uh, even more of our time over the course of 2023 executing. Mm. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Me
1: too. That focus on implementation, right? Absolutely. That's a duality. You have to have the plan, but you have to execute the plan. Otherwise, we're not going anywhere, right? Exactly right. Change
2: will not occur.
0: Yeah, Tracy and I always say it doesn't do any good to have a plan and put it in a drawer, and never
2: put it to use. <laughs> so, so I worked with this I worked with a strategic planning committee, uh, committee and a facilitator uh, a couple of times. And he had uh, he talked about spots, strategic plans on top shelf.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> we, need, we
2: need to make sure that we need to make sure that the NAM plan is not a spots.
1: That's yes. right. That's right. Well, speaking of
0: the national plan, it is for our listeners if you haven't read it yet, 107 pages and it identifies seven priorities. And so we'd like to explore some of those priorities with you today. And for our listeners, you can go out to the NAM website, which is nam.edu, and there's a full copy. Uh, it's free um, through the National Academy of Medicine, and you can download it. And we're also going to put a link to the national plan in our show notes as well. But, listen, to, can you just please share at a high level just what those seven priorities are and a bit about why they were chosen as
2: the priorities. So I think it's really important for your listeners to understand and appreciate that um, NAM's work is always underpinned by a very high-level um, consensus study. And, and this example is, is no deviation from that. And so between 17 and 19, There was a a national consensus panel. There was a dean of pharmacy on it, um, and he really appreciated his ability to learn and contribute to that. Um, And when I go back and look at the recommendations from the consensus study, the framework of the national plan priorities really comes directly from that. And so I think that's important to know uh, that it's grounded in the evidence of not only what's contributing to cl- the lack of well-being in the workforce, but also um, what this thoughtful group of people in the in the evidence said could help to fix it. So really, there's a couple of things across the seven that are um, important to to um, keep the amount of material from being overwhelming. First of all, you know, it really focuses on the system. Mm -hmm. And healthcare, I've just helped a friend, unfortunately, navigate to the end of a pancreatic cancer journey. And it was eye-opening, again, about how tired the workforce is, how stressed um, they are. And how fragmented our systems still are, even with the, is it trillions of dollars that have been invested Mm -hmm. in in health IT and electronic health records? Those have been identified as one of the priorities. Let's get technology right um, as a very important uh, contributor to um, changing well-being. So focus on systems. The other really important thing is, is that there's no substitution from leadership at the top. If this is not a C-suite priority to address, then um, no change is going to happen. And it's C-suite that has to have that commitment. They have to articulate it. They have to walk around with it, and they have to allocate resources to it. Um, There has to be very pers- uh, very purposeful help for the individuals that we're talking about. And one really important thing that happened in the steering committee's discussion about the national plan is you'll notice that we went from a clinician well-being focus to a workforce health being mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. And that's not trivial. Mm-hmm. That's saying that if the Texts and the medical assistants and the scribes and the other people are not taken into consideration as well, of course, as patients and their caregivers, that um, we're not going to make meaningful change. Mm -mm. And then the other prominent thought is, is that we have to start uh, with the learning ecosystem. We have to make healthcare positions attractive to attract a robust and diverse pipeline of potential learners across all of the continuum of the um, health professions. Um, and then we need to um, ensure that those learners, whether that's an undergraduate, medical education, PharmD programs, nursing schools at every level, etc., cetera, um, learn how to help themselves and their peers and their colleagues remain or to become healthy and to recognize that asking for help is mm-hmm. is without stigma. Right, yes. That we can't care for those people who have come to us if we're not taking care of ourselves and each other. And mm-hmm. so in a broad stroke, that's what the seven priorities of the national plan seek to address. Amazing. Yeah,
0: thank you for that background. Um, because you don't, it it isn't so prominent when you just actually listen to it, you know, and when you're reading it, you're reading one priority at a time, but I really appreciate you kind of pulling it together with the history, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how d- critical decisions were made for the entire workforce and starting with the learning environment and continue it all the way through the practice environment. I think,
2: I think for the people who haven't yet delved into the plan, uh, it's important to point out um, the tables. So there's a unit, mm-hmm. a chapter for each of the seven priorities. And at the end there's a table and it breaks out the priority by goals and it identifies key stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And there are many um and again as nam works to disseminate and again i thank you for dedicating time on on your podcast mm-hmm. to help with this dissemination because the plan is still brand new yeah, yeah um and so a lot of people haven't probably found it under their christmas tree yet um, <laughs> but but that um i think I, I would like to think that the specificity in, in these concise charts figures tables um but with the depth of thinking that has gone into who needs to be engaged in helping mm-hmm. to achieve these goals through the action items that are 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 delimited um, on on those charts mm-hmm. and of course we didn't think of everything yeah. um so there's still room for for creativity and input from uh, yeah. from everybody who's so committed
1: oh yeah yeah. Well, you know, I think um I, I love your point about the multiple stakeholders because and I love how in the report you, you know, you speak to there's no one department, there's no one person, there's no one organization, right? This is really a collective effort. And I, I really loved how you talked about kind of creating this social movement, right? We have to all own this. This is a movement to change the environments. And Michelle and I've been doing healthy healing work culture work since the early 1980s. This is not new, Right. This is not new that we have not been working in healthy work environments. Right. It's just escalated and escalated and escalated. And so I'm just so grateful to hear those words and that intention to start a movement. And it will take time and it seems daunting. Right. Because these are seven priorities, all with multiple
2: goals. (laughs) Right. This isn't this, there's no quick fix to this. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that happened at one of our in-person steering committee meetings was that the staff had focused in four proposed impact areas. And I think this is also helpful. Uh, And most of them cut across all seven priorities. So it's sort of a synthesis of those. Mm -hmm. One is we have to create a national movement because without that, it will just not move into action. It, it begs for health systems transformation. Mm-hmm. And nothing yes. short of transformation at this time is, is going to do the trick. Asks for educational system reform. Mm-hmm. And that's reform across the entire continuum, not just you know, degree-granting programs, because we're no longer able to teach everybody everything we think they need to know upon graduation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there are um, issues related to policy advancement that deserve consideration and coordination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely.
1: Well, um, one of the first priorities uh, in the list of seven was to create and sustain positive work and learning environments and cultures. And of course, we're just glad to see both the work and the learning. These are an interdependent pair. One, you know, they both need attention, uh, if we're going to be successful in this endeavor. And so we were really glad to, to see that. Um, and I think too, culture. Oh, yeah. That's the other key word there, right? This is about a fundamental change in who and how we are together. And so, in both of those environments. So, what are maybe some practical actions that can be taken in both of those environments
2: to address this particular priority? Yeah, I have several thoughts. And I agree with you that culture is is key. Uh, Daryl Kirsch often says that uh, culture eats. A strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and um, I recently became aware of a uh, of a book called Culture by Design by David Friedman, I believe is the author's mm-hmm. name, and he really talks about a purposeful culture and the steps that you can and should take to um, to create that and really critically examine the culture of your organization, no matter what kind of an organization it is. And then he has a methodology mm-hmm. about keeping those fundamentals in front of your people every single day. So there's, there's one tidbit, and I absolutely agree that um, the culture in most, health, most healthcare delivery systems and in higher education is probably not as healthy as it can and hopefully should and, and can be. Mm-hmm. But again, I'll reiterate um, what I said a few minutes ago, that this work starts at the top of every organization. I don't care whether you're an educational institution or a for-profit or a non-for-profit healthcare delivery system or any of the myriad entities that interact with bo- both of those environments, um, the the leaders have to not dismiss that the workforce um, needs critical attention um, and, and assistance help. And that means committing personnel. Very deliberately committing personnel and just not one part of an FTE who you dubbed the chief wellness mm-hmm. officer there was a there was a great session um, among many at the double AMC learn C- learn serve lead program last week in Nashville um, and they had had a working group on um, on the work that the healthy workplace they've been working for about 10 years so to your point this is not a new issue right. but it's one that's really coming to the fore yeah and members of their task force were overwhelmed that the room was standing room only mm. and i suspect earlier in their update presentations the room might have been a little emptier Mm -hmm. But again, in 2022, um, there was a full spectrum of organizations in terms of what they had already done from some that had, you know, years worth of valid and reliable measures that they used routinely to identify and, you know, organizational learning where they brought the leaders and the units together to give them strategies to um, improve the culture and the operations and the functioning of their workplace. So I think that alone is was a sim- signal that organizations are increasingly paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people and not money. And, you know, I think we all know that some of the financial issues in the healthcare delivery system are fundamentally broken yep. and yep. and we can't shift to value fast enough, in my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you value money over people, you will not have a healthy culture. And then permeating through all of the work of this action collaborative on on well being is that measurement matters, uh, and people really, really, really struggle with that. There are, however, a ton of instruments, and one of the things that the collaboratives working group have brought forward recently is a a part in the resource hub where they actually share what they consider to be the most valid and reliable instruments for use mm. in assessing well-being across your workforce. But I think the last thing I'll mention is that um, don't forget that little things matter. Mm. Transformation is necessary, but don't eat the elephant. You do it one bite at a time, as it's okay. as it's often mm-hmm. said. Sure. Little Little actions really do make a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. <clears throat> and um, I think you're so right about the little actions. It's really all about of us just all of us being intentional, present in the moment. And if more and more people were aware of the impact they can have. At the local level, it would definitely impact the the global transformation that mm-hmm. needs to happen as mm-hmm. well. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah.
2: you know, I'll just share that the last version of AAP's strategic plan that I had anything to do with was adopted in in uh, middle of twenty twenty one, and um, practice transformation, education and practice transformation are priorities one and two, but well being for all, as along with diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. are. Three and four, and those are not prioritized. They're just enumerated for ease, yeah, um, yeah. and so that's right at the top of of the thinking of the pharmacy education ecosystem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Something that just has kind of been bubbling up for me as we've been talking, and you you talked about the change, um, you know, from the clinician well being to the workforce well being, and I just curious about the conversations about leaders as a part of that, because we've been really focusing a lot of attention on leaders. There's a lot more data coming forth, a lot of more studies about the impact of everything on the leaders. And we know leaders are the linchpin. And now here it is, here's this national plan and leaders are a significant part of it. I just wondered if there was any conversation about that or, and if not, just kind of what are your perspectives?
2: I'll I'll use a story that I became aware of in January. I was at a meeting of the pharmacy sector association CEOs and elected uh, officers. A small meeting uh, happens every January, someplace warm, preferably. (laughs) (laughs) And the planners had prioritized this issue uh, as one of the segments of the presentation. And a senior leader, C-suite leader from a one of the large distribution companies, one of the large wholesale companies, was the the keynote speaker for the kickoff of this. And she started by sharing that um, those in the C-suite thought that everything was going pretty well, and this was a couple years ago now, mm-hmm. Um by pre-covid until one sunday morning when she got a call she had she had hr and within that she had the portfolio around uh, organizational well-being and one of her c-suite colleagues had committed suicide mm-hmm. shocked absolutely everyone to their core because they had not detected that kind of distress and that changed the commitment of that organization with 44,000 employees worldwide to become extraordinarily intentional from the top to the bottom Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: really underscores your point, Tracy, about, um, again, if the leaders aren't themselves well and taking care of themselves, um, then it will be very, very difficult for the organization to fully embrace, um, the need to, um, Acknowledge and study and support the well-being of every single individual in, in the company or in the in the institution.
0: Yeah, you know, and it just I was really struck too listening to you, and very glad that the impact on the C-suite and the leaders, and it has to start at the top. I think in all of our experience, if you don't have the top engaged, you're it's just going to be it's, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And I think what we're trying to do in our work with leaders is to move them from knowing about it, from reading about it and being aware of it, to just really knowing what that is themselves personally, to have a personal transformation so that they can better support their teams and they can be Mm -hmm. healthy professionally and in their personal life. And um, it's It's been such rewarding work to watch transformation at a personal level with leaders who, you know, are surrounded by teams that um, also need to have that knowing. Like, what does it really mean, well-being, for me, right?
2: Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm now going to flip over to, you know, the last couple of years and our reckoning with how our organizations are addressing equity and diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. and, and belonging and um as a privileged white woman i struggled to learn as much as i possibly could but but my reading book after book and listening to podcast after podcast and plenary speaker after plenary speaker mm-hmm. you know wasn't enough you know we had to you know in a small organization of 35 staff we dedicated 10 of those people um to our DEIA task group mm-hmm. with three really passionate and and and, and knowledgeable senior leaders um, to to help organize their work. Um, so you know that CEO or COO or even chief human resource officer needs to understand that they have a peer group and a network that will accelerate their their learning, but more important, help give them the tools to go beyond talking mm-hmm. about it. And doing something,
0: right. about yeah, it. yeah, right. so excellent. It is. Uh, well, another one of the priorities we wanted to touch base with um, today was priority number six, which is institutionalized well being as a long term value. And, uh, you know, both Tracy and I have acknowledged, um, and we've known each other for 30 years like, we didn't talk about well being when we went to nursing school and respiratory school, and it really wasn't part of the you know, the vocabulary when we first started practicing, you know, at the at the bedside. And uh, so well, this is really important to institutionalize well-being as a long-term value. And we just love that. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways the national plan suggests to normalize well-being as a long-term value?
2: So I think we have to think about it in things small and intermediate and long term Mm -hmm. um and first you know making it an explicit component of ongoing conversations Mm -hmm. but there has to be action backing that up otherwise it sounds hollow like just lip service Uh, this is the latest trend the latest fad and Mm -hmm. that would be um killer uh in so many different dimensions not just of the conversation um you know you think about the great resignation which has hit nursing um but also pharmacy um and and other disciplines i mean we're going to have to reckon with the fact that people are not telling young people to come to our disciplines right now because it's not fun i'm i'm going to uh Invoke, without naming names, um, the lecture that was delivered again at, at, at WAMC's at, uh, Learn Serve Lead, and it was the Jordan Cohen uh, Humanism in Medicine lecture. I never miss it if I'm at that meeting mm-hmm. because it's always very deep and very emotionally uh, gripping. Mm-hmm. And this was no. Uh, this was no. Uh, deviation from that the speaker was a well-renowned uh, senior leader in one of the largest and most dynamic health systems in the Northeast and he started he's probably well into his 70s I'm thinking right now um, but vital and young and not done yet
1: and um, <laughs> love that <laughs>
2: he was a he was a supreme storyteller Mm -hmm. and so he began by telling the story of what it was that uh, stimulated him to go to medical school and the joy that he derived from the, the care that he delivered to each individual patient and then as he became more involved in education um Early, relatively early in his career, um, you know, again, the joy of seeing the light bulbs pop up, you know, when the learners suddenly understood, you know, and began to understand the joy in taking care of patients themselves. Um, but I have to tell you that by the end of his journey, he was talking about the things that are squelching the joy out of the care of patients. People and populations. Um, pharmacy is the canary in the coal mine, in my opinion, because we began to feel the influence of the corporate to tata- corporatization mm-hmm. of our discipline probably earlier than most others. Medicine's feeling it now. You know, nurses have, by and large, always worked within systems. You know, small systems, units of you know clinics, larger systems and health systems. So you know, so maybe you also have felt it somewhat along the way. But um, we have to figure out how to recalibrate those relationships between the people who are now making decisions that are impacting the increasingly employed workforce. And, and we have to have very difficult conversations that will draw upon our abilities for civil discourse Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to talk in my world, the, to the chain leaders and the pharmacy benefit management leaders whose policies and dictates and narrow networks have disrupted, um, clinician family relationships, um, and, and that's, if you will, that's a cancer that's eating us up across the health ecosystem and, and I think we just have to begin putting that on our list and th- those people are on the list of stakeholders i would I would be quick to comment mm-hmm. um, and some of those conversations have actually begun. I can say that the American Pharmacists Association has begun to bring people around their table to talk about um, our collective responsibilities. In making sure that the um joy is brought into and is central to the delivery of care because mm-hmm. that's how care will be the best mm-hmm. yeah
1: definitely
0: yes well we've we've what you're speaking of is something that we have certainly discovered too, and you know our work is around polarity intelligence and There's a lot of tensions out there (laughs) with what you're describing, Lucinda, and we also recognize without healthy relationships and meaningful dialogue, we're not going to get anywhere. It is being able to sit in the midst of the tension and the diverse opinions and to really peel back the onion and get really honest about what matters most and make uh, decisions that are going to best patients and clinicians and all the workers and, and that's tough stuff. But it's, I think what you just said is so critical for transformation to happen.
2: It's really been the secret sauce, if I can, of the Interprofessional Education Collaborative, which we started back in 2009, 2010, with six of my peers, me and and five of my peers, sitting around a table saying, where are we with interprofessional learning and team-based care? And um, some of us were a little ahead. Some of us were playing catch-up. But what quickly emerged is is that the six of us, medicine, nursing, dentistry, public health, pharmacy... um, actually um, modeled the relationships that we wanted to be replicated in the care delivery system mm-hmm. we were We were among equals yeah. um, and we never ever talked about scope of practice. We talked about how teams could deliver optimal patient care if everybody appreciated the role of the other people on their team.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Right. Yeah. You got to understand the collective. Right. The uniqueness of the individual, but the the power of the collective. Right. So it's an individual and team is a polarity as well. Right. They're they're interdependent. We're not going to have high quality care without both. That's right. And uh, and so many of these challenges that are being faced aren't problems that we can solve. That's right. They are these polarities, these dualities that we need to leverage and we need to understand the benefits of both of those poles if we want to really get to that greater purpose that we're all after, right? So all those conversations are so important in leveraging those skills that Michelle mentioned is just critical, yeah. you know, to to really uncover the meaning and really come to new understandings together. That's right. Um, yeah, so important. It is, it
0: is. Well, uh, in listening to the actual presentation of the national plan, um, in the present, you know, it, it was available for everyone to watch, and it's still up on the NAM website if you want to see it presented by um, different leaders of the collaborative. <coughs> Excuse me, Dr. Victor Zhao at the end concluded uh, with, and he's the president of NAM and co-chair of the collaborative. He asked everyone to advocate for the plan. And so, our listeners, as you know, listen to our healthcare leaders. So, what in what ways can they advocate for the plan?
2: It's great. Um, organizations like AACP and, and others um, really need to use every vehicle in our possession to socialize the plan and um, encourage our members. So, in AACP's case, encourage the schools and colleges of pharmacy and their peers around the health professions education tables uh, to increase awareness, to get it down to faculty and to learners and to the health workforce itself. Um, Again, committing C-suite time to ask where are we as an organization and what part of this plan is um, most relevant for us to take leadership positions in. And then for organizations like AACP, do prioritize clinician well-being at the top of your strategic priorities um, because it has the potential then to get legs and feet and um, make a difference. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Great. Thanks for that advice for the listeners out there. And um, what a great interview. Thank you so much. Uh, And we are now to the point where we're going to ask you the missing questions. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot about your efforts on the professional side of your life, Lucinda, and we'd love to close our podcast by asking a few questions so people can get to know you more on the personal side. So I'm going to ask you two questions, and then Tracy's going to ask the wrap-up question. And the first question <clears throat> is, we love your name. Excuse me. <clears throat> got a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> we love your name, Lucinda. So we're just curious, is it a family name or what is the story behind your name?
2: So the story behind my name, I'm the middle child and my mom and dad were absolutely convinced that I was the boy and that I was going to be Thurman Thomas Maine. Thurman was my uh, paternal grandfather. Thomas was my maternal grandfather. And they were just so certain that that was gonna be the case <laughs> that I went three days in the hospital without a name. (laughs) And and they needed to discharge us and they needed to have a birth certificate. So they came in and they said, Marilyn, you have to pick a name. And it was almost Belinda. They knew it was going to be Louise and they didn't like the cadence of Belinda Louise. So they picked Lucinda out of a book of names. However, I have a great, great, great grandmother Lucinda, that oh. they didn't know about, oh. and I only learned about relatively recently. So it was uh, maybe divine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> great.
2: Great story. That is a great and story. I, and it was so mm-hmm. odd because I never met another Lucinda uh, until I was pretty well advanced in years. Um, so I chopped the loo off of it and I just was Cinda until it got too awkward to teach every. Junior high school teacher that I was really Cinda, not Lucinda. <laughs> <laughs> but now I love it because it is it is unique. It is very
0: yeah. unique. I was we were thinking you know we don't we've never met a Lucinda. We have to ask her about her name. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, the other thing we wanted to ask it is what is one thing you're planning to do for your own personal well being in your preferment phase of life. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know, so preferment, I have to uh, uh, attribute to uh, Dr. Nora because I didn't make it up, but everybody loves it. And I say, well, use it because it's perfect. And people say, what is it? I said, it's it's what I prefer to be doing with my time when I'm no longer a CEO full time. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That makes great sense. You know, and I had, I operated under a five-year contract at AACP. And so as I got into my fourth five-year contract in 17, Mm -hmm. 18, I, I asked the board for a month off. I took the month of August, 2018 off. And I did a fair amount of driving, um, up, from Virginia to New England and and around. And so I had a lot of time typically by myself in the car to just think about, okay, now it's 2018. You've got about four years left in this five-year contract. And um, so I could begin to just socialize Mm -hmm. what next might look like. And um, fun fact, my pharmacist husband became a Methodist minister five years ago. And so, I'm a minister's wife in my part-time. And these churches that he's serving right now are really into community engagement and social justice. And that's what I decided I would really like to spend more of my time doing in Mm. preferment Um, along with, you know, the typical travel a little bit more, smell the roses, read more um, because for fun, for pleasure. Um, And so, you know, those are the tops of my list.
1: Ah, that's lovely. Yes. I can't think of, well, you know, (laughs) That's a but That's just the beauty of preferment, right? You just right. go, okay, hmm, what feels right?
2: <laughs> now, a year ago, as we announced that this transition was happening, I did say in a recorded video, and now do you hear the dog? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I hear tr- it. I tried to that's isolate okay. her, but she's probably telling me it's time for a treat. Um, I said, I'm not done with pharmacy yet. I just don't have to do it full time anymore <laughs> because we're not to my goal line, which is is that um patients enjoy optimization of their medication use to improve their health uh or to prevent illness. Um and so yeah, that that's but I'm not I don't have to do it full time. Yeah. No. Nope. That's
1: great. Good for you. Good for you. Well, Michelle and I tell everybody we're just getting started. <laughs> we got no, perf- we're already doing our preferment. We are. We're doing what we want to do. Right. So, yeah. Well, here's the last of the missing questions, Lucinda. And as you know, we've been talking today about polarities in the world, and we spent a lot of time bringing the competency of polarity intelligence to healthcare leaders. And um, one of the things, you know, polarities represent kind of that both-and thinking, those things that are interdependent, need each other to get to that greater purpose. And one of the things we know about polarities is that even though we may recognize that both poles are equally important... Just because we're human beings, we tend to have a preference sometimes for one pole a little bit more than the other. And uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just who we are. But it's helpful to know that um, about ourselves, especially when we're trying to leverage uh, that polarity. So we have a polarity we want to ask you about. And I want you to share just kind of just, you know, your gut response. What is your preference, individual or
2: team? I think I have to say team without much hesitation. Um, I, I already quoted my um, you know, medication use as a team sport, and, and I yep. fundamentally believe that. also know um, that when you have a diverse group of people, they depend upon each other and their expertise. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have to say team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also yeah, have to say, a surprise me. I know. Yeah. In fact, no, probably in not. Fact, in fact, Lucinda, this is one of those times it was like, well, we know what she's going to say. <laughs> 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 Just look at her life's work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What a great, what a great conversation. And again, thank you so much for contributing to the national plan and your leadership and And uh, we're very excited to share this episode with our listeners. And before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Lucinda? Any helpful tips or any last parting words?
2: Yeah, you know, I I am reading more for pleasure and edification. And a colleague just gave me a copy of a book uh, entitled Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health by Leanna Wen. I highly recommend it to people, and that's W-E-N. And at the very end in her epilogue, she kind of puts everything into five uh, calls for action, if you will, that are highly pertinent to this work. She says, find your voice and use it. Lead with empathy. Don't just dwell on the problems. Do something. Recognize that progress takes time and incrementalism makes a difference. And then finally, heed the lessons of the people on the front line, workers and the patients that they serve. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was just infinite wisdom in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. Oh, Lovely. Yeah. Very it lovely. Is. Thank
0: you so much for sharing that. Now we got to go get that yes. book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> the books are stacking up. <laughs> the books are stacking up.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. And we want to encourage all of our listeners to um, get your hands on the national plan if you haven't already and do your part by you know reading it, socializing it, advocating for it, because together we can all make a difference for our health workforce well-being. So um, that's a great way to close out this awesome interview with Lucinda Main. And in the meantime, stay safe and healthy, and we will see you on the next episode.
1: Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you, Lucinda. We hope you
0: enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time,